Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, June 19th, 2020. Got to tell you folks, this week's podcast will be a departure from our usual format, largely because after reading the story that Drew wrote for Collider earlier this week, ranking all of the Toy Story movies and the short films from best to worst, I'm not talking to Mr. Taylor right now. <laughs> That bad, Jim. That bad. Wow. Toy Story 2? Seventh? Seventh on your list? It, it's more uh, of a retread. It doesn't it doesn't uh, depart as stylistically as the others to other sequels do, which is why it's seventh. And I also am not am an unapologetic fan of the the holiday specials and the some of the short films. So, you know, I had to I had to go out there. Jim, nobody wants to read the same list over and over again, you know? I get that, but Toy Story Four is number one. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had some time to think about this, Jim. You didn't even see it until home video. You were probably making dinner I, at the same time. You know, it's <laughs> okay. Let Let me just put another opinion out there that the Toy Story Four is is kind of Pixar's Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> oh, I mean. It's got a lot of characters and a lot of very busy action scenes, and there's good, solid work in this movie. But the thing that really redeems it is it sticks the landing. Right. I mean, the last 10 minutes of this thing, it's wonderful. It makes brave, bold choices. But come on, the scene in the RV where they're, you know, the toys have taken control and they're they're driving <laughs> back to the fairground. I mean, if that were in a blue sky or a, an illuminations film, you know, people they, they would attack it. And your mileage may vary. I I would suggest go over read the piece at Collider. I mean, it's an interesting read. But seventh, seventh. Who knows, Jim? There may be future installments, and I'll have to redo this list. And maybe when I do that, I'll take a long. Hard look at myself in the mirror and and reposition Toy Story two, just for you, Jim. Just okay. for you. All right. That's all also I just ask. the Toy Story two looks really rough these days. Almost <sighs> rougher than the first one. But whatever. I'm not going to fight you on that. You're not wrong. Every so often, Freeform will run like all three of the ones that are available, and I, I think Toy Story four is headed there now. And you're right. You look at the first film now, and story-wise, still holds up beautifully. But animation-wise, it's... Yeah. And two... Eh, all right. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> but I guess we, we should also talk about here, you had a crazy busy week. You did epic length piece about Atlantis, the, the Lost Expedition, and, and how everything involved with the creation of the film. That, that is a killer read as well. Very thorough. It's very thorough. That's all I'll say. And likewise, <laughs> you, you're Dick Tracy, killer piece. Thank you. Given that the two of us were, were lucky enough to get invited to check out Over the Moon, uh, you know, the, the new Netflix. Were we on the same call, Jim? Were you at the 10 a.m. PST time? Or are you 10.30? I think I might have been 10. Uh, no, wait a minute. I was 8.30 and 10 a.m. Oh, okay, so, great, okay. great. Cool. Yeah. All right, so we're on the page, same page. Um, I, I liked a lot of what I saw. We're assuming the trailer is dropping on like the 23rd. The trailer right? is uh, dropping on Tuesday. So yeah, people will have seen it by, by now. It's Glenn Keane. So some wonderful, strong posing, some great character work. You know, it's coming to the marketplace at a very interesting time when, you know, we have this, this crazy level of tension existing between the United States and China. And this is really kind of a love letter to Chinese culture. And in fact, Glenn was <laughs> was telling those great stories about 
when they were working on the movie and how so often he was dragged into, come into our house, sit down and have a meal, that how much of the story they had to rework where it's like, you know, well, most family discussions happen around the dinner table. Right. What's your take? I'm hopefully optimistic, let's say. Okay. It it seems, it looks a lot, this is a Pearl Studios co-production, and I was trying Mm -hmm. to get some information about what Sony was doing on it. Mm -hmm. Apparently they're just helping with the pipeline, I guess, and some other things. Mm -hmm. It looks a lot like Abominable, which was the last Pearl Studios movie that, did you Mm -hmm. ever end up seeing that, Jim? You know, there's this ever-increasing pile of things I have to get to, and I haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. But to your point, though, they did talk about, as part of the -the over-the-moon presentations, how, in this case, they opted to go with a, a waterfront city. You know, they wanted, you know, a different look, at least for the location. I mean, because Pearl, excuse me, uh, Abominable, uh, was very much, or at least when it started, inner city, urban. Yeah, definitely more mainland for sure. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of a story. I, I talked to John Sanford, who was the head of story mm-hmm. on Atlantis for that piece. And he told me, you know, <laughs> that people just make movies at Netflix and don't get any feedback back mm-hmm. you know it's like he said you know you you talk to to uh kirk and gary and they say yeah i mean you know atlantis you know we did what we, they could you you talk to somebody you know that you know the director of claws and he says nope it's exactly what i wanted everything is on the screen you know all you have to do is hit budgets and and schedules and that's all that matters so i will be very interested to see if glenn was given that same kind of freedom and what that freedom wound up with because you know we should tell the story at some point about the torturous early production on Tangled and his involvement and wanting him wanting to push all sorts of new technologies. Mm. You remember that like uh, that program that was supposed to replicate brush strokes? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Remember his kind of lengthy conversation about looking on screen and you could almost see the calories, that that almost butter like quality, right? Uh, yeah, Glenn really put in a lot of time at Disney and, and, you know, especially on Rapunzel and then Rapunzel and Braided and it's kind of the anti-Netflix, you know, Disney was nothing but notes at that point. So yeah, it, it will be kind of interesting to see, you know, if he gets to deliver the film he wanted to make, Yeah, which again, I guess the, we should let people know it's, it's really about a little girl who loses her mom yes. fairly young and her dad is about to remarry and this family's about to be blended and that incites a trip to the moon. Yeah, we've all been there, Jim. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Well, speaking of former Disney guys, uh, Peter DeBruge of Variety interviewed Dean Dubois. The topic of the live-action Lilo and Stitch that Disney's got in the works came up. And did you see this Yes, piece? yes. Yeah. I think it's it's very interesting, too, because I've, I've heard from people that Lilo and Stitch is supposed to start shooting by the end of the year. So this is imminent. Yeah. Yeah. And Dean said, I'm not interested in the the live action remakes. I haven't seen many of them. They're made by capable filmmakers, and I don't want to disparage any of the talent or the hard work that went into them. I just think that it's lazy on the part of the studio. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that's wrong, you know? No, no. I mean, it's, like, honestly, that's what you got to love about Dean. You get truth. Uh, you know, and in fact, what I, I love about this article, he's he was completely upfront about, you know, how the original Lilo was Chris Sanders' baby. 
You've heard the stories about how he he did the pitch where he literally created a storybook that he handed out to the execs, you know, yes. just sort of like laying out the style of the film and the characters and uh, go on to talk about what he said about Lilo and Stitch in the interview. Well, he said Lilo and Stitch has such a quirky, singular voice. It's Chris's sensibility and a story that is very personal to him. Chris's voice is so specific that the idea of another team coming in to remake it as a live action movie without Chris or any of us involved is kind of crazy. And I agree. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, not wrong. Yeah. Not wrong. Half of what makes the original a hand-drawn animated Lilo and Stitch work is is its lovely left-handed quality. But he he then goes on to, to basically say that, you know, you understand why Disney's doing this. This this is this is really more about merch. Yeah. The way he closes out the interview where he talks about how he just doesn't get why Disney would devote so much money into creating a live-action remake of an animated film. Like, I would rather see them do something original. You know, it just bugs me that how well-to-do Disney Studios is, how capable they are of taking risks, and then to watch Disney not take risks. And <laughs> again, not wrong, though. Just this week, Diz Insider broke the story about Encanto. Yes. And everything that I've heard lines up with this report. So mm -hmm. no. I would never go okay. out of my way to 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 confirm, but you know, it mm -hmm. it seems true that okay. yeah. So it's Byron Howard and Jared Bush, who are two of the mm -hmm. filmmakers behind Zootopia, and Jared mm -hmm. Bush also wrote Moana. It's set in Brazil, and a young mm -hmm. girl and her family have magical powers, but the young girl doesn't have powers. So it's about her sort mm -hmm. of coming to terms with that, which I think is kind of a fun inversion of the Mm -hmm. The Harry Potter narrative where he's got no, powers, no, great, you know. Great, great, yeah. I don't know if you read my my write up of it, but I thought, oh, Brazil makes perfect sense, and it also makes sense mm -hmm. why we didn't get the Brazil announcement this year at D twenty three, was because they were waiting for a movie to tie into it. So I think we will be seeing that Brazilian um, pavilion very soon, Jim. Although we've we've had the situation before, right, with Spain and um, Gigante. Did I ever send you that slide for? Epcot's future plans, they laid out the next Oh, five yes, years I think you did. Okay, because Brazil was part of that. Right. What was also featured on that deck was the Coco redo of the Three Caballeros yeah. right in the Mexico Pavilion. I think that could still happen. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, but that had a price tag of $70 million. And for some odd reason, that didn't go through. Now, mind you, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind did. There was also a Doctor Strange thing for uh, Epcot that fell off the table. Eh. I would love for this to be the thing, especially if this film succeeds, to finally get, you know, a new land. What is it? Pavilion. You know, Pavilion. Norway was 88. Was that how long ago our last new pavilion was in? Wow. Not good. All right. Although something that, that I thought looked good. Did you see it? these early images from Aya and the Witch? Yeah, the, the... it's it's a it's a different look for Studio Ghibli. That's for sure. It's completely computer generated. Um, mm -hmm. This is Goro Miyazaki, right? Yeah, that that Hayao's uh, son. Right. It's it's always funny to hear him talk about how his dad was never around when he was growing up. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, said as a dad, he's a zero. As a filmmaker, he's you know." It's much better. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting you bring that up because the, the word that's coming out of Studio Ghibli, again, this is Goro's movie, but Dad is credited with the film's planning? 
that? Yes. Well, I mean, he's been credited as that before. He was credited mm-hmm. as that on Arietti and also from up on mm-hmm. Poppy Hill, I want to say. Okay. So yeah. he's okay. done it before. I don't know what it means exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I I don't know where it's going to go because it's on t- Japanese television in the fall. But you, yeah. you have a theory, yeah. though. We're only working off of these six images that they're about to say put out there. But it has kind of a Kiki's Delivery Series Ponyo vibe, at, le- at least to me. Yes. Also... We have basically the entire Studio Ghibli library right now on HBO Max, so wouldn't it stand to reason that after it airs on Japanese television that would eventually slide over to HBO Max? I would love that. I would love that. Did you see that Scoob is already coming onto HBO Max? I think you said really? Yeah, June 26th. I've been seeing some amazing pieces of concept art continue to bubble up from that, especially given the, the stuff that didn't make it into... Scoob, I'm really hoping they do get the, the sequel greenlit because yeah. there's some really fun ideas there. Yeah. The double back for sector Anya and the Witch uh supposed to be shown at Khan this year, but but again, so was Pixar's soul. And when's the last time we heard anything about <laughs> that? Jim, how many question marks do we have in terms of movies in general, but also Disney's slate? Like, do we really mm. think Mulan is gonna open next month? That seems insane mm. to me. Yeah. I forget which ref of the studio was talking about, you know, they're like, you know, we're very confident given that Tenet is going out ahead of us. That'll be the canary in the coal mine and we'll know what to expect, you know, opening the next weekend with Milan. And of course that didn't happen, you know, or isn't going to happen now. You know, Milan is now in the lead position. And just this past week, just to watch all of the negative press, you know, the pylon for AMC where it's like, nah, it's too political to insist that people wear masks and how they had to go into full retreat. So you know, what is it? As of today, they, they've rescinded that, right? Yeah. It's, you have to wear a You mask. want to know something funny, Jim? Is somebody posted the email address of the CEO and president yesterday, and I sent him an email, and I said, this is crazy. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. cancel our AMCs, you know, whatever. And he mm-hmm. actually wrote me back today. And he said, he yeah, really? he said, Drew, we've heard you. And he, and he mm-hmm. sent, sent along the press release. So, wow. I mean, I give him credit for that. I mean, who knows mm-hmm. how many of those emails he got. And mm-hmm. he responded. And uh, that means a lot to me. So It takes a, a big guy to admit that they made a mistake. And the interesting thing is, to because they bent on this issue, Regal bent on this issue. Yeah. And I think Alamo all the way through was like, no, folks are going to have to wear masks to come back into theaters. So. Right. Okay, given what you've read about the social distancing and, you know, simplified menus and that sort of thing, are you headed back next month? Uh, I mean, I will be headed back if my job demands it of me, but Mm. I I am in no hurry to go back. Mm. I mean, you and I have heard things about things being locked down again by the end of the month. So, I mean, I'm not... We're only halfway through June, you know, it's like we've got no. to get, we've got so much more to go. And I know, I know. And it's, in 2020, a startling reversal is, is not a startling reversal. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> things have suddenly changed. That means it's Tuesday. Right. That's the world we live in. Well, and, it, and everything is so much in, in um, can be changed so quickly. You know, it's not okay, like we're yeah. striking prints and getting them out mm-hmm. to theaters and this and that. It's like. Literally, you turn on a switch on a Thursday, Mulan is mm. in the system, and that's all the kind of prep you need, you know? And and so I, I don't I don't know why they wouldn't be flexible, you know? And it's like, 
if they're not ready, they're not ready. If people aren't going to go, they're not going to go. And, you know, we just mm-hmm. kind of kind of wait it out. But, you know, it is sad. I would, I you know, I would have been at Comic-Con this week and we would have had Annecy. Well, no, 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 it's, it, it, no it's interesting you bring that up because you got to see the, the panel that they did over there for Connected, the new Sony animation project. And you loved that, right? I loved it, Jim. I thought it was amazing looking. I really do mm-hmm. think that this is their next Spider-Verse. It's so mm-hmm. stylistically different. In fact, it even mm-hmm. has some of those elements that Glenn was working on in terms of virtual mm-hmm. brush strokes and virtual mm-hmm. virtual pen lines and mm-hmm. things like Emanata, you know, the kind of comic booky expressions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a mixture of 2D and 3D. And there's even things where, like, an object or a model will look different on close up than it will on a in a wide shot, which is like classic 2D animation. But you never see that in sort of mainstream theatrical features mm-hmm. ever. Well, I love the example you cited for me, the Ren and Stimpy. Yes. The hyper detailed close ups that they would do yes. on Ren and Stimpy to just jar you, yeah. you know, over the course of a cartoon. It, it's not quite like that, but like there's a shot of the dad in the car and yeah. the, he's got yeah. kind of a furry collared coat and the and the mm-hmm. kind of the line work on the coat is totally crazy and close up. And then you look at it from afar and it looks just sort of like a regular coat. But there really is that emphasis that exaggeration that push and pull and like i said in my write-up i think it what makes it sort of more groundbreaking is the fact that it's being applied to a store a story about a family Uh, obviously there is a robot uprising but it's a much more kind of traditional animated movie storyline that they're putting all of this extra stylization on top of and Mm -hmm. embroidering it with it and to me that is awesome because it's not it's not set in a comic book world it's not this crazy you know, alternate reality. It's just, it's today, but it's, they've mm-hmm. pumped it up in such a fascinating way. So what else are you going to do NSC wise? Cause Disney's got that into the unknown making frozen two panel coming up on the 24th. Or? Yeah. I'm going to be, I think I'm actually, I think they're doing that as a press conference as well here. So I think mm-hmm. I'm going to be, I'll be watching that, but okay. yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have seen loop in the third. That's, <laughs> that's out the window. Yeah. A couple of pieces of that have showed up online just recently, and it's crazy it so action beautiful. scenes. Ugh. It does, it does. But you want to talk about G Kids grabbed the North American theatrical release rights back in March, just as COVID was descending. Yeah, it, we're all in that gray area now. It's like you know nobody knows when or where this is going to come out. But again, I guess they're going to be screening it there in competition at Annexy, and it's like. They're also going to be making the first episode of Into the Unknown available on the 26th, I want to say. Okay. It's like, oh, well, that's great. They get to see one episode where if you have Disney Plus on the 26th, all six episodes of this docuseries drop. And I think I can talk about it now. Okay. I love this show so much. I Mm -hmm. love it. It's so good. We'll talk about it on the next episode, I'm sure. But... It is wonderful. How early do they start? It's a year before production. Okay. Year before production. Yes. So, yes. So, the JL is not not profiled at all. Okay. <laughs> you know, wanted to know. I saw you walking all along right. those eggshells, Jim, and I just wanted to. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about the, the other 
news of the day. So what announces they're going to start making animated films? And I think you and I both had the same reaction to the effect of, haven't they been making animated yeah. films all along? Yeah. Like, you know. I would love to know what The Adventures of Tintin is, if not an animated film, Jim. <laughs> if you look at the amount of animation from... Peter Jackson's supersized version of, of King Kong is exactly double the length of the original film from 33. By the time that film's over, you know, you are running to the bathroom. Right. And likewise, the supersized version of The, the Hobbit and, and Lord of the Rings. And, and speaking of The Hobbit, we lost Ian Holm yeah. just today. And um, I think his last movie was one of the Hobbit movies. I, I believe so. I believe so. But you were the one who pointed out earlier today that he's Skinner yeah. in Ratatouille. Yeah. There's nothing about that performance that makes me think of the physical, you know, in home. Mm -hmm. he, could, he could literally do it all. Yeah. You brought up Time Bandits. He was also in Brazil. Um, yep. Naked yep. Lunch. Yep. Uh, he has mm -hmm. that great scene with Peter Weller <laughs> where he says this entire conversation is being held telepathically. Um, where they're where they're just talking out loud. I mean, he is a, he's an amazing fifth element. Uh, I mean, what a what a guy. Yeah, it's such a loss to leave that kind of body of work behind. I mean, yeah. speaking of things and people that we lost too soon, when Drew and I get back, we're going to take a look at Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A couple of quick animation news items uh, before we get to the feature. Drew, I actually did something I promised I'd do. I went and looked at the BMO thing that you said so many nice things about on the last episode. And you're right. I mean, it looks like a, a really fun expansion, so to speak, of the Adventure Time universe. Yeah. I love how it just throws away like five different ideas that any other animated series would have built an entire episode right. out of. Just in this opening scene, it's like, eh, you know, thing that eats a comet. Yeah. Moving on. You know, <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. It's really, it's really cute. I can't wait to see it. But just the tease sequence at the moment, or the start before the titles, where you're rolling through the insides of, of BMO and they do the CG version of his, uh, you know, interior. Yeah. I mean, killer, it's killer really work. Cool. You know, if this is the first of the Adventure Times for HBO Max, can't wait to see the other three. Yeah. And speaking of, of HBO Max, uh, you were kind enough to to pass along the trailer for Close Enough, the new adult animated series from a regular show creator, uh, J.G. Quintel. I'm watching this, and it's like, where have I seen this before? <laughs> it kind of hit me. It's like, wow, this is Duncanville, only dirtier. <laughs> Which isn't, I, I don't mean that as a slam. I actually like Duncanville. Me too. I, you know, it, it, I, it's got good writing, fun animation. Glad it got picked up for a new season. There's been a lot of adult animation lately that includes the, and we have a small child that we're really bad at raising. Well, it's sort of interesting. It's sort of the opposite of the Adventure Time, where it's literally something that I'm sure could have been made as a single camera sitcom. 
that they just decided to do an animation, which is sort of, I'm not so into that, but I love regular mm -hmm. show. I'm very mm -hmm. tempted to give this a, a, a shot. And obviously I love, I love any kind of new primetime me. You don't have to watch it in primetime anymore, Jim, because it's streaming. So you can watch it whenever there you want. Go. But you know, there that kind of like, you know, elevated animated series. Mm -hmm. I'm very into it. And I, I think the art style looks good. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, same thing here. Now, the Jody, the the news of the Daria spinoff that's headed to Comedy Central. Uh, you and I were pre-gaming and talking about the fact that we don't remember the character of Jody on Daria. I don't. I don't remember any character of color on Daria. I'm sad to say, yeah. but yeah. I'm intrigued. You know, you brought up the Tracy Ellis Ross, who's really having a moment right now with Blackish and Mixedish yeah. and. Mm -hmm. The high note, I, right? Yeah. But again, it's what they, they pitch it as a basically a workplace comedy about your first job out of college and, you know, you end up at a tech company and you have to learn how to navigate office politics and be wary of social media. And, you know, it's very much the world of today, or at least it was until we were all forced into our homes right? You know, because of COVID-19. I was going to say, are there, no, there are no video stores anymore. So that would not be, no one is working <laughs> in a video store anymore out of college. No. There you go. So, all right. Well, did you, well, did you think okay. it was interesting that they're pairing it with Comedy Central and that Viacom has this new kind of overall approach to to animation where people where it's a it's an MTV character on a on a Comedy Central platform. I thought that was sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I also they're talking about pairing this with South Park. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that I love me some South Park, but you know especially lately. South Park is getting very white and very old. It is true. Yeah. You Much know, like yourself, I, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every day I look in the mirror. It's it's like, who is this saggy old gray bastard? Oh, God, it's me. So on the other hand, you know, I look at less and less like Cartman. So it, you know, life goes on. Okay, Solar Opposites uh, got picked up for season three. So for all of us Rick and Morty fans, that's a good thing. You got to watch season one, Jim. I got to tell you, that'll be your homework for this week. Okay, okay. I will do that. On the other hand, Crossing Swords. I mean, I, for me, this was almost out of the Disney Channel playbook where they would renew the show before the first episode airs. You know, right. just sort of like season two. This is how confident we are in it. Whereas you were talking about the fact that it got picked up for season two one week after the first episode aired and you just explained it. Yeah, it's good, but there's another reason, right? Well, I mean, I think that Hulu just needs content. And this is, I think, these mm -hmm. are the only two adult animated shows on Hulu. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like they just need to pump some more stuff out. And I'm sure that Crossing mm -hmm. Swords takes four freaking ever to animate. So they probably need to get um, on it sooner rather than later is my is my other assumption. That's Stupid Buddies, right? The, the yeah. stop motion house? Which, did you, have you been watching the Disney Gallery Mandalorian show? I have. I have. And I, I love that Favreau, I'm blanking the name of the creature. but you know, They're he, called he, Blurgs, he, Jim, and they first appeared there we go, in the Blurgs, Ewoks the Battle Blurgs. for Endor. I think that was Dan <laughs> Z's favorite Star Wars movie, actually. But Wow. <laughs> 
that is really some nerd card carrying. <laughs> That's a that is a great. Mo- I mean, I am honestly proud of you that, that you you were able to, to deliver that in one solid. Well, absolutely. You, you know, as king of the nerds, I, I applaud that. But yeah, I, I love the Travro. Just felt that well, you know, we have to have it look like stop motion at some point in this because this is where that character came from. Yeah, and, and I also love that John Knoll. Who who is the visual effects supervisor said, I don't know if this is gonna work. And it did. I had no idea, but <laughs> I did. love that they're in there. I think there's only a couple of shots where they're stop motion, but really, really cool. Well, I literally sent a note this morning to to our buddy Dan Z and and said that, you know, I, I just finished watching the the last of the eight episodes of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. I, I almost enjoyed the behind-the-scenes thing more than I enjoyed the show. Yeah. I really loved The Mandalorian. Yeah. But I also, I love Favreau's story about how basically The Mandalorian is, your brother took all of the good characters, all right? So you're trying to tell a Star Wars story with the weird little bounty hunter and the Ugnaughts, and that they came up with this story. Yeah, it was. it's really cool. And I love that, that thing about the Kenner troop transport. Same thing, the, the, but again, you know, it, it's entertainment for nerds being made by nerds. So it was like, oh, just, and also that footage of the 501, you know, how they blew their mind by bringing them, you know, they, they went from watching Star Wars movies to being in a Star, well, Star Wars for television, yeah. but even so. Really cool. Okay. You just blew an entire segment. I'm doing a looking at Lucasfilm next week. <laughs> I'll be there too, Jim. Whenever, whenever you're ready, I'll just, okay, I'll pop in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, folks, we alluded to the fact that we we want to talk about feature animation Florida, which really only existed almost 15 years. The studio basically got up and running in late 88. You know, the very first people got there and, you know, were working on projects a little bit before uh, Disney MGM opened in uh, May 1st, 89. But if you go back all the way to the announcement in 85, back when the project was called uh, Disney MGM Studio Tour, they actually talk about how the tour, which will combine walking with a tram ride, will feature great moments at the movies. Uh, part of the tour will include a visit to the animation building, where guests will get a first-hand view of Disney artists at work going through the many steps of creating an animated film, and which, of course, brings us to... The fishbowl. Do you remember that from many times visiting the, the studio? Oh, right? yes, Jim. Uh, oh, yes. I, I love this studio, and I'm so happy we're, we're talking about it. And we're also getting a little mm-hmm. preview. If, if nobody was tuned into Jim's uh, Disney Anna convention last week, this is a kind of truncated version of one of your presentations, right? So I'm so excited to hear, to hear all about this. Yes, I'm recycling stuff. Are you happy Jim, now? Jim, you're being green, okay? You're being green, okay? There we go. Okay. That, that, okay, I'll take that. You know, the weird thing was when they initially announced they were going to open the second satellite production facility, they, of course, go to the guys in Burbank who are working at the classic Walt Disney Animation Institute. Well, at this point, it's they're no longer on the lot. They're in that that warehouse, right? Yeah. You know, across from Imagineering with all the bugs falling out of the ventilator shafts. Which is now the archives. Which is the Yeah, that is the weirdest bend on the story. In fact, was it on one of the Disney insiders where it was a Andreas and, and Bernie Mattinson were yes. going through there, right? Yes. And 
And Bernie at one point pointed, yeah, that used to be my office. I got to go there for a, for a press day, which is, have you ever been <laughs> in that building? I have. I have. Um, Fox Carney was nice enough to, to bring me oh, in nice. one afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird building. Were they working on the Diamonds project there when, when you were there? No, or no. They've got this this weird thing that they're doing there, that they're basically they're trying to digitize oh, yes. every, yes. Yeah, every single piece of art they've got in the building. The problem is just sticking to the hand-drawn and the concept panties and that sort of thing, it's 60 million pieces of art. Yeah. Did they show you how they're capturing it, too, with, like, all those cameras and... I mean, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 And the people who are working on it now know that it won't be completed while they're there at the archive. This is a multiple decades long project. They've actually decided, well, let's start with the films that people really will probably want to reference. So they were, when I was there, they were doing Snow White and right behind that, they were going to do Pinocchio. But it's, as you described, they lay down the piece of art. They have to light it just the right way. They have to shoot it with these high-res cameras and get each image. Yeah. And each layer too, right? They were showing like, oh, "Oh, you want to see it with the coffee cup stain? Here it is, you know? (laughs) It's like, oh my God. And and the fact that it's not publicly available, it's only internally available. I think think it's only available to to DCP and to to Pixar and Walt Disney feature Mm -hmm. animation employees. I mean, it's crazy. When they're done, what an amazing resource. Yes. But at the same time, when I was talking with them, it's like, well, what do you do now in this world of, Disney is doing CG. What do you do with the wireframe? What do you do with the rendering? What do you, <laughs> can he kind of blink at me? It's like, we're working that out. Yeah. We're trying to figure it out. Well, they also you know, have a lot of dimensional stuff too. Like there's Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. There's uh, Frankenweenie yeah. stuff. Crazy. Yeah. Well, we're off topic, Jim. But sorry about we that. Are, we, are, we are off topic. Though, oddly enough, again, this is the building that they go into to try to recruit people to go to Florida. And everybody's like, I have a house here in California. I have parents that I have to take care of. My kids are in school. Right. In the end, isn't it just Mark Hen who's willing to relocate? And seriously, Mark had only started at Disney Animation back in 1980. So, you know, he was relatively young into his career. Yeah. he could move, but this meant that in order to staff up the studio, they were getting a lot of kids straight out of school. Yeah. They were enthusiastic, but they didn't necessarily have a lot of experience. And so as a direct result, it was like, well, you know, we can't really put these guys to work on their own film yet, but we can do shorts. And in fact, what was it? The first short that was made there was uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit, right? Yes. Uh, Rob Minkoff. Which which played in front of Dick Dick Tracy. Tracy. (laughs) You know. It all comes back to it all comes back. It, it, you know, and again, by the way, I love the fact that you did mention in that article that that ticked off Steven Spielberg and potentially derailed everything that they were going to do with Roger it's Rabbit true. after that. It's sad, but you true. Know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so they finished the short. And so at this time, you may remember the Prince and the Popper, uh, the Mickey Mouse featurette that ran in front of Rescue is Down Under. The plan was at Disney that that was the first of a series. They'd already lined up the next two. In fact, the the next three, in fact, again, to to double back to another great Drew Taylor story, the one you did about the Goofy movie, Mm -hmm. 
Remember how Kevin Lima talked about the thing that he was working on, the Goofy of the Apes? Yes. That was supposed to be another feature red. Okay. They were going to follow the Prince and Popper with Mickey's Arabian Adventure, which was going to be, a, you know, the idea was that was going to be a put with Aladdin. Okay. Then for 93, they were going to put out a Mickey as Christopher Columbus to honor the 500th anniversary of Columbus discovering America, which which would have gone over so well today. <laughs> that was going to be in front of 1492 Conquest for Paradise. <laughs> oh, wow. I uh, am Gérard Depardieu, uh, Christopher <laughs> Columbus. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom Selleck is Ferdinand? Who is, he was in the, is uh, he the- was in the other one. He was in Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. My mistake. Do you remember there were okay. two there were two Christopher Columbus movies that came out at the same time? Okay, because yes. you know we, 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 we needed really to. needed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> there were so many unanswered questions. Yes, but anyway, so they're they're working on the feature when suddenly word comes down the pipe like cold everything stop. We're, we are behind schedule. We are ridiculously behind schedule on Beauty and the Beast, and you guys need to do a sequence for us. And and the sequence they gave them was Kill the Beast, which, if you remember from the film, it's Gaston, riles up the villagers, and they march through the forest, and they get to the Beast Castle and knock down the door with a log while they're singing. And, you know, again, the, the guys at the studio were thrilled. You know, they, they, you know, they were finally going to get into the big leagues. To this day, I can't get a straight answer as to what exactly happened, how this happened. There, some evidently- big, there were some big animators on that, too, Jim, like... People that are still at the studio right now. Mm-hmm. So we got a track. Yeah. I think Alex Cooperschmidt. Have you ever talked to him? He's great. I think he worked on that scene. So we will figure it out, Jim. Okay. Because as the story goes, folks, somehow the crew in Florida. I mean, remember, you've met these villagers in Beauty and the Beast. You've seen them in the opening scene where, you know, bonjour, 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 bonjour. You know, the, the whole seven-minute-long bell number. So... You're meeting them again when, you know, Gaston goes and riles them up. But here's the thing. The folks in Florida hadn't seen the finished footage. They were working off of the model sheets that they had been sent for the villages. And to this day, nobody understands how this happened, but they got the old model sheets. The character design had advanced over the course of the film. And, but they're going off of the old model sheets, and so they put together their version of Kill the Beast, and they're sending the footage back out to California, and California's like, what the hell is going wrong? Why don't your characters look like our characters? And it's like, well, we're going to have the model sheets that you guys sent us. They had to do, out ahead of the November uh, 1991 release of Beauty and the Beast, this really come-from-behind rescue mission. And as you were pointing out earlier, Drew, it didn't entirely work. No. The the villagers still, you know, the villagers in the middle of the movie do not look like the villagers at the beginning of the film. And once they get inside the beast castle and have that elaborate slapstick fight, they look different again. Yeah. You know, they look more like the villagers from the beginning. But again, success forgives all mistakes. And again, Beauty, the original hand-drawn version of Beauty and Beast, huge success, first animated film nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. So it's like, okay, all right, we're willing to overlook this happens, but we also now need your help on Lion King. Mm-hmm. So what they do is, <laughs> but having, you know, it's like, let's give them something that if it's a little off model, it won't bite us in the ass. And that's how they ended up with Just Can't Wait to Be King, because the entire art direction of that sequence 
is different than the rest of the movie. You know, it's light, it's crazy, it's based on African folk art, crazy color palette, and lucky for the folks in Florida, it's one of the one of the big breakout numbers of the film, considered a hugely successful s- sequence. So finally, the folks in California are like, all right, okay, we're going to give you your own feature. Even then, it was like, but there were terms and conditions. And, you know, the terms are, and conditions are, we're looking to build a theme park in China, probably first in Hong Kong, but we're definitely also looking at the mainland. So we, we would really love to have an animated feature with a Chinese character, a, a strong female Chinese character. And we've got this epic poem from 420 AD, the legend of Mulan. And let's see what you guys can do with this. And I tell you what, we'll, we'll save the story for how they did Mulan down in Florida and all of the, the trials and tribulations uh, that that project had for, for another fine-tuning further down the line. Hopefully about the same time that uh, Mulan gets released to theaters, yes. which we don't think is going to happen in July, do we? <laughs> well, can I, I? I do not, but can I add a little Beauty and the Beast trivia to the, the Florida studio? Absolutely. So remember, Absolutely. we have to go back to the beginning, too, because the mm-hmm. magic of Disney animation is where they infamously screen the Purnum version of Beauty and the Beast that they were working on oh in England. And that's when they said, no way can this go forward. You're right. Remember, Holy that was cow. the site of that infamous screening where they watched 20 minutes of the movie and shut down the production yeah. and handed it to two guys, Kirk and Gary, mm-hmm. who I've become very good friends with over the past week doing this article. Oh, yeah. oh my God. And they were down they were in, in Florida. Florida. Yeah, they were working At on... At that time, yeah. because that's where... Cranium Command? Oh, jeez. Yeah. No, that's a great... Uh, see, this is why I have him in the show. I mean, other than, of course, the, the Toy Story thing, which I'm, I'm willing to overlook. Thank it, God it, I it, redeemed this. myself. What a roller coaster in this one episode, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Drew does so much more than improperly ranking Toy Story <laughs> films. Uh, he also runs a wonderful podcast uh, about the, the Mission Impossible film franchise, Light the Fuse. And you've got another fun episode with that coming up shortly, Yeah, right? I mean, I think that people who listen to this show should definitely listen to that show. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crossover. And for the next four weeks, we have two genuine legends of animation we're talking to. We're talking to Roger Guyette from ILM, who, mm-hmm. you know, worked on Rango and uh, Ready Player One and all these amazing movies and uh, mm-hmm. was the visual effects supervisor for Mission Impossible 3. And then after that, a really cool interview with Gary Rydstrom, who is a legend. He has won seven Academy Awards. He won two Academy Awards in the same year, Jim. Mm -hmm. So he is uh, amazing. And he actually talks a little bit about Newt. And he talks about some theme park stuff. And he, when I asked, I said, were the aliens in Lifted, which is just the short film he directed for Pixar, were those Mm -hmm. the original models for the goo people in Wally, and he said, "Yes, they were." He said, "You are the only person to ever bring that up, but that is one hundred percent what they are." Holy cow! So, what a great catch! Yeah. So oh. anyway, it's okay. great. His description of Newt is fantastic. Like what they were trying to do was really different, and um, mm-hmm. so you're gonna wanna wanna listen to that. And he's just he's amazing. He's a great guy. He has so many great. Joe but story speaking about bad takes, Jim, you agreed with Len that Silence of the Lambs mm. should not have won the Best Picture Academy Award in 1992. 
My argument is that it ran so early in the year. It ran it even earlier than you said too, because it opened on it, it opened no, it opened on Valentine's Day weekend in 1991. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, take a day and scare their pants off. Jim. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, you you found the through line. <laughs> That, that okay now now I get with that the studio Zek was going with yeah. that release date but oh god that even earlier yeah. I mean it just wow also JFK is great too that was a that was a good year for for movies I cannot believe Bugsy weaseled its way in there into the top five but you know well that's really is more Warren than anything I mean you know nobody you know worked award season quite like Warren yeah just look at that Hor- that Howard Hughes movie who <laughs> which i actually went okay. I, went, I went to i think the very first screening of that movie on the on the fox lot and you're right he was outside the theater shaking hands and kissing babies mm. and good lord that movie did you ever mm. see it jim i did it has amazing production design i mean you know that he nailed the period but for how long had he been working on a howard hughes movie and this ultimately was the story he, he he decided to do. Yeah. Just kind of broke my heart. Yeah, so. it's terrible. Anyway. Well, I, anyway, again, uh, all right. So please put that on the calendar show. Those are, uh, folks, those are ain't, cannot miss episodes of Light the Fuse. Uh, and on our side of events, we also got some stuff you might enjoy. We got Disney Dish with Luntesto. We got uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. And this weekend, I, I, you know, I have to get a hold of Dustin. We need to knock out a new Universal joint, and likewise, uh, Shelley Bayadolid. We're long overdue to, to do a new. I want that. So, going to be a busy time. Lots of new product heading your way, and yes, there is still the sorry you missed it. And I am working on it, and we will get this done. Otherwise, oh my God, Drew Taylor so- will travel three thousand miles and kill me. I know. I know. Feed me to the bear that keeps walking through my yard. <laughs> So anyway, folks, uh, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend uh, the shows, that that helps raise their profile and get us additional listeners. Uh, Likewise, if you really, really like what you heard here, go to bandcamp.com and subscribe. Thanks for listening, folks. And again, Toy Story 2 does not deserve to be seventh. (laughs) I'm just saying.